Hey, welcome. I'm Andy. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at River Glen. Um, thanks for being here this weekend. Also, if you're joining us online, thanks for uh, hanging out with us. This weekend, we're taking a moment to celebrate an important decision in the lives of multiple families here at River Glen. And we're doing this through one of our family life milestones we call Parent-Child Dedication. Uh, as a ministry, our vision for family life, it's to make stronger families and a stronger church. And every once in a while, we want to stop and we want to celebrate uh, what's been going on in the lives of the families at River Glen. And we do this through things we call milestones. And this weekend, uh, four families have made a commitment to dedicate their child to God uh, the same way that Mary and Joseph did with Jesus. And it's an important moment because it reminds us uh, of the story of Joshua when he's, he's standing before the nation of Israel and he says, today you have a choice. As individuals, as families, as a country, you have a choice whether or not you're going to serve God. And he says this, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And this challenge by Joshua, it holds true to us uh, today. We must decide whether or not we're going to serve the Lord. And it's an important choice uh, for parents because ultimately all of our children need a savior, right? They're, they're very cute when they're young, but they're going to grow up. They're going to give you that look. They're going to turn on you. They're going to take over, right? And so <laughs> it doesn't matter because, well, it does matter, but it doesn't change how God views them. God still loves them. Um, he desires to have a relationship with them, and he desires to give them eternal life through Jesus. And we believe that the family is the primary means by which faith in Jesus can develop and grow. And also as a, chore, uh, as a church, we support and we love these families uh, and their children for the next 18 years and beyond. So obviously there are no parents up here uh, with me. Uh, we're only, uh, they're only going to be at one service, but we still want to, uh, as a church, remember what our role is uh, in the lives of families and the future generations of followers of Jesus. So I'd like to pray for the families that are dedicating children this weekend um, and all the families uh, in our church. So please pray with me. Lord, thank you so much uh, for parents, their willingness, uh, just the responsibility of being a parent. Uh, give us all patience, uh, strength, willingness over these next 18 years. Uh, thank you for the gift of kids, children. Uh, they're not only a blessing to the parents, but they're a blessing to this church. Uh, we thank you for Jesus who makes it all possible. And it's in his name, amen. All right. So just over one week, uh, it is Christmas like John said, and uh, me and my family, we actually got a head start. We started celebrating today uh, with some family, and uh, I don't know about you, but we have a bunch of traditions, and one of them is we uh, roll out a birthday cake for Jesus. Does anyone else do this? We have a lot of kids in our family, so we do a birthday cake for Jesus, and it's because Christmas is really all about what? It's about Jesus being born, right? Every year we focus primarily on these events leading up to the birth of Jesus. And I'll be honest, like every year we can kind of go over the story, we can approach it from different angles, look at different people, but over time it can become kind of routine. Not that it's not incredible or remarkable, uh, but it just becomes a familiar story. Well, something happened a couple years ago that gave me a different perspective on the birth of Jesus, and that is I had my own two kids, okay? And I was fortunate enough to witness their birth. And I say fortunate uh, because there was a time when I was like, no way, I will pass out, I will throw up on everyone if I am in that room, right? But then something happened in me, like a switch went off, and all of a sudden I'm like seeing things and witnessing things. I'm going to spare you the details, you know what I'm talking about. But I was like, this is incredible, this is life, I'm making it. I'm not really making it, but you know what I mean, like it's, it's so crazy, okay? It's so awesome. 
But something else I learned from being in that room is uh, babies are not born in real life like they are on TV, okay? You guys know what I'm talking about. Like, it doesn't take 20 minutes. It doesn't take two hours like a movie. And I didn't know this. I didn't know this, all right? It takes a lot longer. I remember when Isaac, he's he's our oldest, when he was about to be born, I get the call. And I'm at work, and I start freaking out, okay? I book at home. I grab Christina's bag. I start throwing stuff in my bag, clothes, a toothbrush. That's about it. And I race to the hospital like, oh, my gosh, am I going to miss it? Is it going to be there? What's its name, you know? And I get there, and I get in the hospital room, and Christina's just, like, sitting in the, in the bed like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, is it here? Where is it? Like, you know? And it turns out I had to wait another seven hours, which is that's actually short in terms of a pregnancy, but I was like, oh, I didn't know I was going to have to wait all this time. I should have brought some snacks, like a book, right? I thought, ER, Grey's Anatomy, 40 minutes, let's get it done. But that's not, that's not the way it works. And that experience almost got me in trouble with number two, right? With number two, Evelyn, uh, when it was time to go to the hospital, it was like midnight. And we'd only got us like maybe an hour of sleep. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to make some coffee. Right now I'm making coffee. I am taking my time like I'm a barista or something. And it's the slowest cup of coffee you've ever seen someone make. And Christina's like, we need to go now. And I'm like, oh, oh, this, I don't have seven hours to drink this cup of coffee. So we get in the car and we almost ran a red light in front of a cop. No joke. Uh, we get to the hospital in time. And bonus, uh, there was, we, we didn't miss the window that uh, Christina could get the epidural, which was very important for her and very important for our marriage. So, um, <laughs> Those experiences, though, they give me a different perspective on, um, on birth, right? And, it, you know, one, one minute there's two people, then there's three. There's maybe more. But it's just this incredible experience that's hard to put into words, hard to describe even what is going on. But I think because we have these experiences, when we read the story uh, of Jesus, it becomes just another story of someone being born. And it's so much more than that. The birth of Jesus, it was unique. Even when we look at the story and we start to imagine and understand all the things that were going on with Mary and Joseph and what birth is all about and what it's like, we, we look at it as a birth. But the birth of Jesus was unlike any other birth in history. It was special. It was holy. And it was set aside because of its meaning. Okay? Because it wasn't just a birth. It was, uh, it was an arrival. It was an anticipated moment. It was something people had been waiting for, longing for, hoping for, for thousands of years. This, this one person was going to arrive and he was going to fix things. He was going to undo the brokenness in this world. He was going to set things right. He was going to save us. He was going to redeem us. And he had arrived. So this was a special night. This was a holy night. And we're in this series called Thrill of Hope. And we're being guided by these lines from the song, O Holy Night. We're taking the lines and we're looking at scripture to better understand and prepare us to celebrate Christmas. We've looked at a weary world rejoices. We've looked at the soul felt its worth. And this week we're looking at the line, right? Fall on your knees. This is the line where if if I'm in Brookfield Square, I'm still going to belt it out. I don't care. I love this line and I'm so excited that I got it because this line, it comes at a a at a part of Jesus' birth, um, but it's after his birth. And sometimes we kind of, we look at it, but it's an afterthought, and we don't really understand what's going on. But it's this story of these wise men that come and visit Jesus, and when they get there, they fall on their knees, and they worship him. And this is such an important, in part, I can't even talk, I'm so excited. An important part of the story, uh, we forget about it, or we gloss over it. But think about this, okay? 
When my kids were born, no one showed up and worshipped them. Maybe the grandparents. But no strangers came into the hospital looking for, you know, my kid. No one popped by our house to worship them. No one came months No foreigners came months later like, where is the child? Like, it didn't happen, right? This is one of those pieces of the Christmas story that we have to look at and take seriously. And it, it's one of the things that sets apart the birth of Jesus from every other person who's ever been born. Because no one showed up to worship me or you when we were born. No one showed up to worship my kid. No one showed up to worship your kids. When Jesus was born, though, when he arrived, people responded by worshiping him. By worshiping him. It's so important. Because think about this. There's a lot of ways we can celebrate Christmas. Where we can decorate. We can um, Put up the lights, drink some wassail. I don't even know what it is, but drink it, drink the eggnog. Get out Bing Crosby, Mariah Carey. It's the only two time, it's the only time we listen to those two. Um, we put up the lights and we give gifts and we spend time with people we love. And I love lights. I love gifts. I love Amazon gift cards specifically. But when we when we think of the birth of Jesus, what we actually see is that people responded by worshiping him. People responded by falling down before him and worshiping him. And I think an, import, an, import, an important question, I'm going to get it right. I'm going to get it right. I'm not very good at English, but I got this. All right. An important question to ask, maybe the question to ask all of us, is when it comes time to celebrate the birth of Jesus, are we going to worship him? When you celebrate Christmas, do you worship Jesus? Today, I'd like to take a, story, uh, take a look at the story of these wise men. They came to worship Jesus. It's in Matthew 2. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. And I think as we dive into this passage, we're going to understand a little more what worship is, hopefully figure out why they were worshiping him, and then also figure out why we should be worshiping Jesus as well. So Matthew 2, starting in verse 1, says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting with the leader, leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared and he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. So we have this group of wise men um, and despite what we sing in We Three Kings, we don't really know how many there were. Could have been two, could have been dozens. Uh, we're not sure if they were actually kings. They're referred to as magi, which could, uh, could mean an astrologer, uh, which is why they would have been following the star. And then uh, although they're from the east, we're not sure if they're from the orient. But what we do know is this group of men was searching for Jesus specifically so they could worship him. Herod, he's the guy in charge at this time. He takes an interest, not because he really wants to worship Jesus, because he's threatened. Um, so he learns what he can from them and then sends them out. And so this part of the Christmas story almost seems like a historical afterthought. Something, okay, that's interesting, but we don't, it's, it's kind of confusing and we don't really know what to make of it. But if we focus on the wise men, I think we can learn a lot about worship. 
So what were they doing? What were these men doing? Well, it tells us they were searching for Jesus so they could worship him. It says, where is he? We've come to worship him. Something I think is really important is that they were searching. Specifically, they were searching for something to worship, right? What does it really mean to worship? What does it really mean to worship? We toss around this word a lot, um, and I think sometimes people have a very narrow view of what worship is. It's singing, or we have no idea what it is because it's not a word we use outside of church. Well, Louis Giglio, he's an author, he's a pastor. Uh, He explains what worship is in his book, The Air I Breathe. He says this, think of it this way. Worship is simply about value. The simplest definition I can give is this. Worship is our response to what we value most. That's why worship is that thing we all do. It's what we're all about on any given day because worship is about saying this person, this thing, this experience, this whatever is what matters most to me. It's the thing I put first in my life. Worship tells us what we value most. As a result, worship determines our actions, becoming the driving force for all we do. So simply put, worship is all about value. When we value something more than anything else, we worship it. And we worship things we believe give us value. Us value. David Foster Wallace, he was a famous author. Uh, he wasn't a believer, but he wrestled with religion a lot. He, he wrote books that are way too big for any of us to be reading. But he famously says this. He says, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. Everybody worships. Right? Another way of thinking about this is that Uh, You were made to worship. You were created to worship. You were wired in a way that you would worship. And you can't not worship, but you can decide what you're going to worship. And a lot of us, not unlike the wise men searching for Jesus, we are on our own search for something to worship. We value all sorts of things because we believe they give us our value. We go about our lives looking for that one thing worthy of our attention, our devotion, our time, our energy, our money. And for a lot of us, our lives become a search for something to worship. The problem is when we find something and it's not God. It's not God. The Apostle Paul, he wrote about this in Romans chapter 1. And Paul is no stranger to not worshiping Jesus. He was powerful. He was ambitious. He was self-righteous. Paul worshiped religion. He worshiped the the religious structure, the bureaucracy that he was a part of because it gave him his status. It gave him his value. It made him important. But he changed when he encountered Jesus. And he writes to Rome years later, about what goes wrong when we worship something besides God. It's in Romans, uh, starting at one nineteen. He says, they, these are people who don't worship God, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they became, began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Jumping to 25, he ends with, They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Basically, God makes us to worship. He even made it obvious 
for us, giving us hints. Just by observing uh, creation, the earth, the sky, the world around us, we would see his might. We would see his creativity, his power, what he's like, and we would turn to him and we would worship our creator. But we worship other things instead. We trade God for things God makes, things God gives us. So instead of looking to God, we can go on a search looking for something else, settling for something else. And things aren't that much different now than they were in Paul's day. Instead of statues, it's gadgets, it's houses, it's boats, it's TVs, it's stuff. Instead of temples, it's malls, it's Amazon, it's, it's Facebook, it's Instagram, it's Snapchat, it's people, it's leaders, it's this guy, that girl, this group of people, this tribe, this career, this accomplishment, whatever it is, we can value almost anything to the point of worship if we believe it makes us important, gives us our value. And I'll be honest, most of my life was a Romans 1 life, right? A search for something, someone to worship. Something to give me the value that I longed for, needed. It's this endless search of moments and things where I thought I finally found that one thing that made me special, made me important. It's this thing I longed for. It was attention. It was accomplishments from the random few things that I was good at in my life. Sports, uh, music, comedy, status from building up my resume, getting my degrees, getting my license, working on a master's, status from popularity, becoming a, the president of my fraternity, embracing the party animal stereotype, love, attention from girls, worth from all the money that I was starting to make once I finally got out of college, and on and on. And even now, now it's not just looking back, it's present. I experience new things, and I can see myself getting tugged and tempted to find my value in the wrong things. I think an interesting one that I've seen started to creep into my life is actually around parenting, right? And it's tricky because everyone wants to be a good parent, right? We all want to be a good parent. But when your kids become the source of your value, this is extremely dangerous, right? We're moved from caring, providing, loving into worshiping. When a perfect, respectable, good, uh, praiseworthy kid becomes the barometer for how I judge myself, right? The measuring stick for if I'm important, if I matter, the determining factor for my value, I've turned my kid into something they shouldn't be, a source of value, and they can't live up to that. Same thing with ministry, actually. And that might sound weird. You think, well, you're doing good things. Yeah, but anything that gives you a sense of value, makes you feel important, makes you feel wanted. I matter because I'm a pastor. That can become a point of worship. I'm chasing it. Doesn't matter what I am, ministry, parenting, career stuff, attention, affection, love, the comforts in life, all these things can become things that become objects of worship. Even though I found Jesus in my search, we all need to realize everything can fall into this trap. Everyone can fall in this trap, worshiping something besides God. It doesn't matter what you call yourself, Christian, non-Christian, religious, non-religious. If we just drop the labels and get rid of the terminology, the only question that's left is, what do you worship? What do you worship? What do you ultimately value to give you your value? That's the question. And these men searching for Jesus, you know, they weren't just searching for anything. They were searching for him specifically. Why? Why were they searching for Jesus? Why were they looking for him? Well, if we look at the passage again, it says they were searching for Jesus and they were guided by something that prophets wrote, right? This comes from the book of Micah and 2 Samuel, which point to the birth of Jesus. But even though the prophets had pointed them to this moment, I don't think that's why they were searching for, for Jesus. They were searching for Jesus with the help of the prophets. But I think the reason they were searching for Jesus 
is because they're wise. They're wise. They had wisdom. Wisdom is different than intelligence, than being smart. It has to do with judgment, having sound judgment, and, and the decisions you make. Someone can be really smart, really intelligent, and still be very foolish and have no wisdom. But if someone is wise, they're not going to be foolish when it comes to the way they live. They're going to make good decisions. And as according to Paul, they're also going to worship the right thing. We can gain wisdom a couple different ways. We can have someone teach us, or we can have experience. Experience. I think, uh, think about this. Someday soon, uh, believe it or not, there's going to be like thick, wet snow all over the roads, Right? And experience tells me I should drive a little slower, right? When I pull out of my driveway, when I get going, maybe I should test how my car reacts. I should test the brakes. I should hit the accelerator and see what happens just to kind of feel out the roads. And experience also tells me 100% of us are going to forget how to drive in the winter, right? And we're going to go crazy. (laughs) Through experience, we learn what works, what doesn't when it comes to living out our lives. When it comes to worship, experience, wisdom can be an important part of guiding us towards worshiping Jesus. Here's how. Because of experience, when we're searching and we find the wrong things and we worship them, we will learn from our mistakes. We will gain wisdom and we will start searching for the right thing, namely Jesus. So if we continue to find our value in the wrong things, it's only a matter of time before we realize this cannot and does not give me my value. Accomplishments, stuff, status, attention, affection, love, all these things, they can make us feel valued for a little while, but they're temporary. They're short-lived. They don't make us valuable. They make us feel like we are, but they're not. They're not the source. That's what I experienced in my life. My search for all these things, for something uh, to give me my value, whatever I worshipped, all of it, the good, the bad, I got to a point where I realized this does not work. And I experienced the letdown of getting what I desired. I experienced the letdown of getting what I desired, the emptiness that came after a night of partying, right? the anxiety that started to set in after I achieved what I wanted to and then realized, well, what now? The stress from trying to maintain status, the disappointment in getting that one thing you always wanted and realizing, okay, now what? We're all searching for something to worship, all of us. And we're going to settle on the wrong things, Christian or not. But thankfully, thankfully, we can experience the letdown of that and gain wisdom from worshiping the wrong things and hopefully use that wisdom, that experience, to start looking towards the right thing. What experiences have you had As you search for something to give you your value, is it clear it's not working? If you're honest with yourself, are you you seeing that it doesn't give you that value you long for? If we are honest with ourselves, I think we all know the empty feeling we get when we put our hope in the wrong thing. That's not a bad experience. That's something that can help us gain wisdom, gain experience, make better judgments going forward, gain wisdom from those experiences. We can also gain wisdom from teachers. And the best teachers there are are the ones that God used uh, to write his word, the Bible. And that's what these wise men relied upon in their search. The promise all throughout scripture is this. There is something better. There is hope beyond the brokenness. There is life beyond death. There is someone who is going to undo all the hurt, the pain, the brokenness. He is coming. He's going to love. He's going to show mercy. Mercy. He's going to have compassion. He's going to right all the wrongs and he's going to rule as king, right? These promises led these men to this very moment where they found what they were searching for. 
And this is how the story ends. It says, after this interview, this is when Herod's talking to them, the wise men went on their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem and went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was born. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. They opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Why did they worship Jesus? Because Jesus, in Jesus, they found what they were looking for, something worthy right? The one who was promised, the one who would rule, the one who would reign, the one who would fix and heal and love and undo all the brokenness. They found Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the King. He's the Savior. He's the one who would be born as a baby, grow up into adult, face death, and beat it, and beat it. In Jesus, they found the only thing worth worshiping, in 2 Corinthians, Paul, Paul writes this uh, in chapter 1, verse 20. He says, For all God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. Right? All throughout Scripture, God makes promises for something better than we currently experience. And it's going to give us hope, and it's going to give us peace, and it's going to satisfy us and bring fullness to our life. And Jesus makes these promises come true. All the promises God makes, Jesus fulfills. Jesus is the only thing that lives up to the hype. He's worthy because he gives us our worth now and forever. Nothing else can do that. It's eternal worth. Right? He gives us the value we so desperately search for. We can find what we're searching for, something worthy. And these wise men, they worshiped Jesus because of who he was, who he was going to become. But 2,000 years later, we know the story. And we can worship him not just because of who he was, but because of what he did. Through his perfect life of obedience, his, his sacrificial death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, Jesus accomplished everything that you and I need to have a relationship with God, to be forgiven, to be restored, to be accepted, to be adopted into God's family. Right? to be given eternal life if we believe in him. Jesus proves our lives have value because he gave his life for you. He gave his life for us so that we could experience true life. Nothing else can give you that kind of life. Nothing else is permanent, concrete, confident, assured. Nothing except what Jesus offers. There's really only one way to respond to Jesus. Worship. And I love this. Matthew says, they didn't just worship him. They bowed down and worshiped him. They got low. They got on their knees. They lowered themselves and they worshiped him. And when I think of that picture, when I think of bowing down, right, lowering yourself, kneeling, falling down, I think of surrender. I think of surrender. John Howard and I, earlier this week, he was up here before. He's one of the other bald men here. He and I were talking about this. We only hire bald guys, I think. And he said, I just thought it was such a good comment. He said, you know, we can commit our lives to Jesus, but when we commit to something, we still like to think we're in control. But when we surrender, what we're saying is, I'm not in control. You are. Worship is rooted in surrendering control, giving up other things, embracing Jesus, eliminating the things that get in the way of what matters most. It's all about surrender. When you celebrate Christmas, do you worship like these men did? Do you surrender all the other things in your life that you know you're chasing after that don't measure up? Do you celebrate the fact you're not in control, yet you still have value, you're, you're, you're secure, you're assured, you have life, you're cherished by your creator? Do you have an attitude before God that says, yes, you are the answer to my problems? These men, in all their searching, throughout their lives, it brought them to this moment where they searched for the one thing that was truly going to fulfill what their hearts desired. Have you? Have you surrendered? 
Do you need to surrender today? You might have found Jesus a long time ago, but you could be tugged in all different directions trying to worship something else. Do you need to set that aside and finally just embrace what Jesus offers? I want to offer some suggestions to you because we all worship. We're all searching for that thing to worship. Um, and I believe these are some steps we can take to determine, are we searching in the right place? Are we worshiping the right thing? First, identify. What do you value to give you value? Once you identify it, why? Why? We all need to look at our lives and determine what we spend our time, our energy, our money, our lives devoted to. Is it following Jesus or, Jesus or is it something else? And if it's something else, why? Why are you believing it? Why are you falling into this trap when you know it's going to let you down? What exactly are you seeking? Have you found it? Two, evaluate. Is it more worthy than Jesus? Is it worthy of your worship? What have you experienced so far? At the end of your day, are you happy? Do you feel fulfilled? Will your life be satisfying, full of joy, peace? Will you be more loving? Will you be more available? Will you be more humble if you dedicate your life to that? Or if you just embrace who Jesus is and what he did for you. I think you'll find there is nothing that compares to Jesus. Three, surrender. We fall on our knees. We let go of these other things, these other obsessions, and we embrace Jesus. Start trusting in him for your value. As Ben discussed last year, or last, last year, last week, Jesus is the one who helps our soul feel its worth. Right? He's the one thing. Let go of control. Try to get value and just accept what Jesus offers you, that full, unconditional, no condemnation, new way of life, hope. And then finally, we worship. Right? Worship isn't just one activity. It's many activities that are driven by who Jesus is and what he did. And we should and can prioritize these activities in our life because we're going to get tugged every day. We're going to get distracted. And these activities will, will guide our hearts and our minds in the right place, back to Jesus, right? back to Jesus. These aren't mind-blowing. These aren't new activities. These are things the church has been doing for thousands of years because they work, because they point us back to Jesus. We listen, we talk, and we hang. We listen. We read God's word. Why is this important to worship? By reading the Bible, we hear from God. We gain wisdom. We're reminded of what matters, and we're reminded of what is true, right? If I don't read the word, I forget who God is. I can forget what he's done in my life for me. I can forget who he says I am, and I can chase other things. Ask yourself, where are you lacking at the moment? Understanding who God is, understanding what he's done for you, understanding who you are in his eyes, right? Find a Bible reading plan that might help you in one of those areas. Then we talk to God. We pray to God. Why is this important to worship? Well, through prayer, we talk to God. We lean on him. We trust him. We grow in our relationship uh, to him by confessing our sins, finding forgiveness, bringing him our concerns, our anxiety, our hurts, our requests, everything. If I don't pray, I become self-sufficient. I try to do it on my own, and I become prideful, and I become selfish, and I feel distant and disconnected, and I wander. Prayer becomes a habit if you make it a habit. The length, the words, they don't matter as much as making prayer a habit consistency. So schedule prayer times every day and stick to it until it becomes a habit. Hang. Surround yourselves with followers of Jesus. Why is this important to worship? Sometimes people call this fellowship. Uh, here we call it connecting. It's important because we belong to a community and we develop community. 
in groups. We can be known by others. We can know others. We can find encouragement. We can find correction. We can be empowered. We can also be the ones offering those things. If I cut myself off from community, I become blind to, to things I might be doing, to my shortcomings, to my bad habits. Uh, I can develop an independent attitude towards Jesus, towards following Jesus, and think I can do this on my own. And I end up losing out on what the church has to offer. Find a group or connect uh, in our Connect Guide out in the lobby. Uh, people you can relate to by age, um, gender, seasonal life, common interests, whatever. And just commit to finding a group of people you can make yourself known to. We're weeks, weeks away from the beginning of the year and so many of these actions and habits should be uh, on our mind. And we should be thinking about how can I get these in my life? Because we're going to be tempted. We're going to be tricked. We're going to wander. But these practices can guide us right back to Jesus. I want to end with a quick little story um, about me and my search and how I ended up where I am. Right after college, I started asking this question, what is the point? I had gotten to a, this part of my life where I'd tried so many things and be, been let down and I was angry and I was frustrated and I was hurt and I was lost and I was broken. And that was me. And I went to a Christmas Eve service at the Ridge. Uh, it's a church actually Riverbend started. I went to a church service there, uh, Christmas Eve service, and they made this, this challenge. Tr- give church a shot as a New Year's resolution. Seriously. And I was like, why not? What do I have to lose? Um, I'm sad. I'm depressed. I, I, don't, I have nothing to lose. Let's try church. So the next weekend, I came back to River Glen, and I saw a, a video sermon by Louis Giglio, the guy I quoted before. And after that, I realized, whoa, this is not at all what I thought Christianity about or church was about. And so I gave church a shot again. And for a whole year, I read books. Uh, I got in a small group. I read the Bible. I went through, I took notes during the sermons. And on December uh, 6, 2008, I surrendered. And as a result, I was baptized. And in that moment where I surrendered, I was forgiven. I was made new. I was given eternal life. I now had a relationship with God, and I was still uh, messy. (laughs) I was still rough around the edges. I am a work in progress. But since then, I have had highs. I've had lows. I've had growth. I've had moments of doubt, frustration. I've bought into things thinking they were going to give me my value and they didn't. I've been let down. But over those 10 years, I've found my way back to the one thing that is truly worthy of worship. And it's Jesus. What do you value to give you your value? Because Jesus is better. You know, maybe that's the first time you ever heard that. Maybe it's the thousandth time. Maybe you know someone who's never heard it. And they need to. Next week, we're going to gather. We're going to celebrate the only thing that's worthy of worship. Jesus, right? He's the only thing worthy of our worship, our praise, our surrender, our life. He's it, right? And between now and then, I, I hope I respond properly and worship him. But you know what? I'm probably going to stumble. I do that a lot. But next, year, or next week, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to celebrate 10 years of giving church a shot and discovering, rediscovering what it is that my heart desires, truly wants, and is searching for, and it's Jesus. Will you join me next week? Yeah, let's do it. Let me pray. Father, we just love you so much. You're so good to all of us. You're so good to me. And I don't deserve it. 
Um, but you're, you're awesome. And we're all here just to declare how awesome you are, give you thanks, love you, thank you for everything you give us. Um, but we do, we do need help. We wander, we find things that are uh, attractive to our hearts, and we buy into lies. Uh, I just pray that you help us experience the letdown sooner rather than later, and just guide us uh, through your spirit, through others, through messages, through whatever it is, um, to the one thing that ultimately, the only thing that can, <laughs> that can uh, just fill our hearts. Jesus. It's in his name. Amen.